Our first scripture reading comes out of the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, the first five verses. It's, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him in a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite and all you ever get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Save my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world But the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when you hear that devil Start talking to me Saying who do you think you are Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Saving my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Go down, down 
about somebody who saved my soul. Every since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, guys. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. This has been... Have you ever had one of those weeks where you think to yourself... I don't know if I'm going to make it to church or not. This has been one of those weeks. Started last Sunday, well, Sunday night into Monday when I fell uh, in the middle of the night. And I wedged myself, I I did a really good job. I wedged myself between my armoire and my wall, and I was tangled up in one of those exercise pedal bike things. And I was trapped. I couldn't get up. And I, I, I laid there, and I, I, I said, well, what are you going to do? Hit my back of my head. I was a little groggy, and um, so I started yelling for my son, who didn't hear me. And finally, the dog heard me, woke up, and started barking. Wasn't sure who it was. And then my son woke up and then heard my voice and got me up. Well, he didn't even get me up. He just untangled me from the bike, and then I could get up. But I was trapped, and there was, I, there was just no, no way to do it. So that started my week. And I thought, oh, yeah, you're preaching on healing this week, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. God seems to do this to me. Every time I do a sermon on healing, God just sort of kind of says, oh, yeah, Randy, and knocks me down. I'm not going to be here next Sunday because I'm going to be hopefully recovering from surgery, minor surgery. At least the doctors say it's minor surgery. I say it's significant surgery. So what I want to say to you is this. We believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We've seen uh, with our own eyes God's healing power. Many of you have seen that in this congregation. We've seen it in the last year that I've been your interim pastor. We believe in it. We understand. You know, uh, since we've been praying for healing, we're seeing healing. When we didn't pray for healing, we didn't see anybody healed. Now, not everybody is healed, but we're seeing some people being healed. Well, the passages that I want to look at today, healing stories in the Gospel of John, kind of give us some information about this. Our first story is John uh, 4, 34 to 54. Now, I'm not going to read them. Uh, I'm just going to talk to you about them. Jesus had spent two days with the Samaritans. We talked about that last week. He experienced great success there. Galilee was the area that he knew was specially chosen uh, and prepared by God for his ministry. 
It was the, to be the home base. And so Jesus was heading back to Galilee from Jerusalem. Galilee was one of the northernmost part of Palestine, on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And God had prepared Galilee throughout history for the coming of his son's ministry. Throughout history, Galilee had been invaded and repopulated again and again and again and again, all by different people and different cultures from all over the world. This created an atmosphere open to new ideas. Galilee was strategically located. The world's leading trade routes passed through its borders. Merchants from all over the world would pass through and stay in its inns and in its cities. Galilee was a heavily populated uh, area. It was surrounded by the Samaritans and the Phoenicians and the Syrians, and it was made like an open door for the world and was primed and ready for evangelization. Galilee was one of the most fertile lands in that part of the world. Thus, the trade routes made a great place to settle. Within its district, over 200 cities. Now think about this. We're talking about Israel back in Jesus' time. Within this district, over 200 cities had a population of 15,000 or more. Here, Jesus easily could have, have reached multitudes. And so Capernaum, on the Sea of Galilee, was his home base in Peter's house. Jesus didn't go back to Nazareth, uh, uh, his hometown, because, well, we've read that, that they rejected him. And we're told that Galileans welcomed him, for they had heard him preach and heard of his marvelous works in Jerusalem at Passover. So Jesus goes to Cana, where you may remember another kind of miracle happened. They'd heard about Jesus preaching in Jerusalem. And while he was at Capernaum, while he, I'm sorry, he was at Cana, a nobleman came from Galilee 20 miles up the hill to Cana to see Jesus because the nobleman's son was dying. He was some kind of a high-ranking uh, government official who lived in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. His need was desperate. His son was at the point of death and the man heard about Jesus and he'd come that day's journey 20 miles to literally beg Jesus for help. We see in, in the passage that Jesus goes to Cana in Galilee. He's already done a miracle there, that the turning the water into wine at the wedding. The royal official comes and from Capernaum and he begs Jesus to heal his son. Jesus questions the ruler and the people in the crowd and most Jews of the time sought signs and wonders they wanted to see the exciting and the strange. It wasn't a faith thing for them. And this was a test that Jesus was giving them. The official begs Jesus 
again to heal his son. And this time he passes the test. Jesus tells the official to go. His son will live. And so the official immediately leaves for home. Somewhere down the road, he meets the servants, his servants, coming up the hill. And they tell him that his son has been healed. And then as they talked and started to think, it happened exactly at the same time that Jesus tells him his son will be well. Now, first of all, I think that's a pretty good healing when you're 20 miles away and you just can say he's healed and he's healed. Jesus is often called upon to minister to the family members of the one who really needs healing. Here's an important lesson for us to learn. Let me just set it out in front of you. Our spouses and our children need to be taught to trust in God and to look to him for the source of health and our source of healing and ask him for healing through a believing prayer and heart. I remember about 31 years ago when my son, you met him a couple of weeks ago, uh, broke his hip. Uh, It happened that he broke a hip uh, uh, through a growth plate, which is really serious. He was imitating some gymnast that he'd been, Olympic gymnast that he'd been watching on television on his swing set and fell off and bang. It hurt him, but he just kept on going. He didn't complain too much, didn't really talk much about it. The next morning, he couldn't move. His leg had just frozen up on him, and he couldn't get out of bed. He was in intense pain. So mom and dad grab him, and we take him to urgent care, a center where they could take an x-ray. And then they came and showed it to us. And sure enough, there was a major crack on the x-ray running right through his growth plate. Now, John was, you know, pretty little 31 years ago. He was seven. And this was serious. And so they said, now take the x-ray and go to this other place, an orthopedic x-ray office, that they can take better pictures and then be evaluated there, and then they'll decide what they're going to do. So we drove 10 city blocks in Sacramento. And I was holding John in my arms. That's when you could hold him in your arms. And I prayed. Now, you know the kind of prayer that I was praying. It was a cry for mercy. Came deep out of my heart and spirit. We got to the room for the new x-ray and my wife Kathy had to stand outside and I took him and set him on the x-ray table. And by that time, I was praying deep in the spirit all out, full bore, no hands barred, uh, tongues and everything. Anything I could think of, I was doing. When all of a sudden, John pulled on my shirt sleeve. Daddy, it's okay. And I looked down at him and said, what, what? He said, Daddy, it's okay. Jesus just healed me. I was bewildered. I, I didn't know what to say or think. Yet he had stopped crying, 
and he was even smiling at me. At that moment, they came in to take the x-ray. After they took it, Kathy and I uh, were there, and they invited us back to a room, and, and we were stunned at, at best. We brought the first x-ray with us, and they put the two x-rays side by side, and there was no break in his hip. One x-ray showed a clear, big break, and the other a perfect hip. They sent us back to the first doctor with both both x-rays. Forty minutes later, we walked back into the doctor's office. John was walking by himself and carried both x-rays. The receptionist looked at him and then ran back to get the doctor, and all the staff came out to look at this little kid. We showed him the x-rays side by side, and uh, there the people in the front office started uh, sputtering something about maybe it was a scratch on the first x-ray, but we knew it was God. I tell you this to say, whenever John gets sick or gets hurt, or any of his children get sick or hurt, he wants us to pray, first of all, because his trust in God is strong. Even when a family sickness seems to require the presence of a doctor, and they do, the great physician should be invited to assist and to overshadow the family doctor. Not to eliminate, but to go to the doctor and allow God to touch through. Prayer is what we're called to do. So back to our scripture. The religious leader begs Jesus to heal his son, tells uh, the father that his son is healed. Now, that's an easy thing to say when you're 20 miles away. Visible miracles strengthen our faith in God's promises, but they'll never be sufficient alone to give true faith for healing. That only comes from belief in God's word. God never does amazing things just to attract our attention or to satisfy our curiosity. When God amazes us with a miracle, which he freely does even today, it's always so that he may teach or reveal to us truth about himself. Friends, let me say this. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Well, the second healing story, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, healing at the pool of uh, Bethesda, chapter 5 reveals Jesus to be the authority over all life. He is due the same worship, obedience, and service as God, for he is equal with God. It's no coincidence that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. In fact, there's seven times in John that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And he healed the man as proof of his authority, and he really did it on the Sabbath because he wanted to link healing and his authority together. He alone determines, Jesus alone determines the rules of worship. After demonstrating the truth of his equality with God, he then began to teach his truth. His teaching style was come and see, 
come and experience the love that God has for us. Jesus first demonstrated his authority, then he would teach the truth to them. John says, sometime later, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. We've uh, no time frame on this. Jesus was probably attending one of the feasts of obligation. They were Passover, Feast of the Tabernacles, or Pentecost. They were called Feast of Obligation because any man that lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem had to attend. So the people attending this feast were God-fearing people. Jesus stops by the pool of Bethesda, by the Sheep Gate. Now, there, if you go, and you know some of us are going to go this summer or next year, uh, there are two pools. And around these two pools are five colonnades or porches to cover people that are sick from the elements. Jesus comes and, and he looks around. And it's a pitiful crowd. A crowd of broken humanity. People withered and wasted and bodies that kind of smell. And the silence and the filth and the old and the young all suffering there together. It was a horrible and distressing sight except for one thing. Jesus was there. Jesus was alone. There's no disciples in this story. He stood unnoticed and his loving eyes surveyed the crowd. Finally, his eyes gazed on the wor- one of the worst, a man confined to his bed for 38 years. The Lord engaged him in conversation, and in just a moment, the man stood in the midst of the crowd, completely whole, carrying his bed. 38 years crippled, and now he was healed. Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? At first, that sounds like a stupid question. Why, of course he wanted to be healed. And you know what? It's the same question that Jesus asks each of us. It summarizes a great problem in all of our lives. Do you want to get well? So many of us say, I've tried or, and prayed and nothing changes. When we first hear the promises of God, our hearts are warmed and we respond to them. Or at least, at least we think we respond. But when we hear the promises again and again and again, and we want to be warmed but we're not, a cycle starts and continues and nothing really happens. We think and say we want to be healed, but in our heart of hearts, we, we don't want really. Do you want to do what it would take to be healed? Do you really know in your heart that you want to do it? Many of us believe that we're saved as soon as we think of being saved. In other words, The thought of conversion is what many imagine to be conversion. But conversion takes transformation. Real repentance, the turning around from the way you were going to a new way, going towards God. Jesus asked the paralyzed man, 
the seemingly unnecessary, ridiculous question, but it is the real question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ? Healing comes with following of Jesus. To be healed means that you have to follow Jesus. Let him send you where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do. I want you to notice something about Jesus here. There's great power. Jesus did not pronounce a word of healing. He merely commanded the man to act. In the act, the man was uh, to show his faith. If he believed that he would rise and walk, he would walk. If he did not believe, he would simply continue to lie there and continue just as he always had done. We learn to hear that no one has to uh, continue on through life as they always have. Isn't that a great thing? Enslaved to sin and corruption, to disease, we don't have to live in that forever. We can experience the healing and transforming power of Jesus Christ. The power to transform your life and to make you new. All we have to do is one simple thing. Believe the word of Jesus Christ enough to obey. Doing what Jesus says for us to do. Maybe some of you are here today and you feel like I feel today. Hurting. Overwhelmed. But trusting. Friends, God truly, truly wants to heal you and to set you free, not only from existing sins and corruption in your own body. I know about that. Uh, He wants to touch your heart and your life and set you free. But you have to act on his word. Jesus is calling you forth to be healed and then to respond. It's not enough just to be healed, but we need to be transformed. And the only way we can do that is to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. We learn here that no one has to continue through life as we always have. One is interesting thing. Why didn't Jesus just heal everybody around the pool? Good question. It's the question of healing. Why do some get healed and others not? And the answer comes a little later in the passage. Verse 19. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. So Jesus standing there was watching to see who God would be touching. Do we really want to get well? That question makes us look at our obstacles and our sins and our problems and our excuses. You know, that excuse that you say, well, it's not my fault. 
Many of us here today may feel that there is no hope for a change in our lives. We see no way through uh, with human strength how we could do it. The steps don't work. The audio tapes, they don't put us to sleep. Uh, We've resigned ourselves to being weak. Doctors uh, Minerth and Meyer wrote a book about uh, overcoming depression entitled Happiness is a Choice. They wrote, as a psychiatrist, we cringe whenever Christian patients use the word I can't or I've tried. Any good psychiatrist knows that I can't and I've tried are merely lame excuses. We insist our patients stop trying to can't and say won't. They need to see uh, what they're really doing. So we make them face up to it by saying, I just won't get along with my wife. My husband and I won't communicate. I won't discipline my kids the way I should. I won't find time to pray. I won't stop gossiping. When they change their can't to won't, they stop avoiding the truth and start facing reality. You know, it's the same with our spirituality. The odd thing stands out in this story. The man had no idea who Jesus was. With his healing, Jesus was not randomly acting. He was purposely revealing to everybody who he really was. Jesus was the fulfillment of every Jew's hope. He was the Messiah. Jesus is also saying he's greater than the law. I want you to think for a moment of the symbol of water in the book of John that we've seen so far. Water is the symbol in John of old Judaism. The water purification jar in chapter 2 could not produce real joy of the spirit like the transformed water into pure wine by, that Jesus did. The water failed. The water from Jacob's well in chapter 4 could not quench the Samaritan woman's uh, thirst. That water failed too. The water from the pool in Jerusalem could not heal the lame man. That water failed. That they all needed was living water. We need living water too. We need Jesus. He is the living water. Do you have any idea who it is that can heal you? I mean, really, do you know? Jesus. But do you know him? He's not an MRI machine. He's not a tool to be used when we're in trouble. He's the Lord, and he longs for you to know him. We all know the name, but do we take the time to know the person of Jesus? Do we know the man who can make us well? I'll close with a story. Tony Campolo, author. He was in church in Oregon and uh, was there and then was asked to pray for a man who had cancer. Campolo prayed boldly and loudly for healing for this man. The next week, he got a telephone call from the man's wife. She said, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. Campolo thought, 
when he heard her use the past tense verb that his cancer had been healed. But before he could say anything, she said he died. Campolo felt terrible. But she continued, don't feel bad. When he came to the, that church that Sunday, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time. And he hated God. He was 58 years old and he wanted to see his children and grandchildren grow up. He was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. The more his anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. But the woman told Campolo, after you prayed for him, a peace had come over him and a joy uh, came into him. Tony, the last three days have been the best days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read scripture, we prayed. Oh, they've been wonderful days. And I called to thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for his healing. And then she said something incredibly profound. She said, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. God has healing for us. It may not be physically, it could be emotionally, spiritually, I don't know. But the scripture teaches us not to run away from or ignore healing, but to seek God in the midst of our pain to be transformed. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, thank you for your love for us, for your holy presence, for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. And we give you thanks.